Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. Well, this should be a quick one, but it's something we see over and over again, and we've pretty much just grown to accept it. On CNN Sports, an article entitled, The NFL is Down to a Single Black Head Coach After It Pledged to Do Better with Diversity. Before I start this, I have two bones to pick with this headline, and and headlines in general. Why do we not capitalize all the major words in a headline anymore? I mean, maybe personal preference, but come on, isn't that what we were supposed to do? I, I don't I guess it's changed. Specifically, this headline, the words capitalized are the first word, the, the acronym, NFL, and the word black. Why do we capitalize a color, you might ask? Well, because back in July of 2020, the AP decided that when used in terms of race and culture, black needed to be capitalized, but not white, because screw them. Anyway, the premise of this article is pretty simple. The NFL said that they were going to do better with diversity, but they're racist because they fired David Culley, the first-year black head coach of the Texans, leaving only one. So there you go. Clearly racist. Now, they also fired the offensive coordinator, Tim Kelly, but he was white, so who cares, right? The NFL, you must understand, is dead to me. But apparently the Texans had a terrible season, finishing 4-13. and 13. In Cully's defense, his star quarterback, Deshaun Watson, didn't play, you know, because he's apparently facing 22 allegations of sexual misconduct. But I mean, come on, it was only the 22. Anyway, regardless, according to the GM, it wasn't necessarily the bad season. He said that it was philosophical differences over the long-term direction and vision. That, to me, seems like a valid non-racial reasoning, but I'm not as woke as the mainstream media, I suppose. I wanted to give a few facts and and then kind of wrap a nice little bow up on this here story. The NFL can be broken down into four basic groups. The players, the league office, the head coaches, and the CEO and presidents. When you look at the breakdown of race, and I just, I hate that word. It's a stupid word. Let's say ethnic background. Now, this is as of 2018. I know the data is a little bit dated. It's not going to align perfectly. It's hard to find a good breakdown that's current. So we'll go with 2018. You find this. The CEOs and presidents are 100% white. The head coaches at that time were about 75% white, about 20% black, about 5% Asian. The league offices were about 72% white, 9% black, 8% Latino, and 9% Asian. Uh, The remaining is other. And the players were about 27% white, 69% black, 1% Latino, and 3% Asian. So you see, clearly racist. Okay. Yes, the data, like I said, is a little bit old, but my point will be the same. If we want to be truly diverse, fairly diverse, 
then we should have every position be filled by the same demographic as the population, right? We're saying that there are too many whites in the coaching and office jobs, and that's all we're saying. See, the 2020 breakdown of the U.S. was about 60% white, 18 to 19% Hispanic, 12.5% black, uh, just under 6% Asian, and about 2.5% other. So shouldn't that be what every single category should represent, you know, if we're being diversely fair or fairly diverse? This means that the CEOs and presidents need to change a lot. The head coaches need to change a lot. The league offices have to change some. And the players have to change a lot. Now, you may not see the change in the coaching and office jobs so much, but on the field, it's going to look a lot pastier for sure. Now let's look at salaries. The average salary of the players range depending on the position. The punter, kicker, which I believe most of them are white, is three to three and a half million. They're the bottom of the barrel. All other positions range from seven million to over 16 million per year. Now the average head coach salary, and yes, there are some standouts from this, but the average head coach salary is just under seven million per year. So just under every single player position, except for the punter kicker. The average salary of a GM is one to three million. So a lot less than the players. And the league offices go down dramatically from there, about 200,000 per year or less. So in order to make things fair, because that's what we want is to be fair, there'll have to be a lot of unemployed black athletes and a lot of unemployed white sideline or office guys. But those black athletes are going to be losing a whole lot more money than those white guys. So in the spirit of racial equality, we'll penalize the black athletes much, much more. See, the point of this article is not to have you think. The point of this article is to show you how racist the NFL is because they now have only just the one black head coach. To which I say, and? The NFL literally has an initiative to hire more people of color for various non-player positions, but they're apparently having trouble hiring qualified non-whites. Now, whether that's because the candidates are not qualified or there just aren't a lot of candidates, I don't know. I also don't really care that much. See, it's not racist to have a discrepancy between the general population demographic and specific job demographics. It would be racist if the NFL said something like, we need white boys in the thinking positions and black boys in the non-thinking positions, or some other stupid idea like that. But they're quite literally not doing that. There are no racial barriers to any of these positions, so by definition, it can't be racist, no matter what the demographic breakdown is. I'll tell you what is racist, though. CNN, and the idea that the NFL, or anyone, should hire anyone with color of skin as any qualification or disqualification at all. And this is what I want you to think about. This is the takeaway. Every time you hear someone claim racism... I want you to look hard at what they're saying. Is it actually racial discrimination? Or is the person saying it the true racist? Because they're looking at everything through a lens of race. To say we must have more black head coaches is in fact racist. Why can't we just have head coaches? Why does color have to enter into this? 
There will always be ignorant, hateful people in this country, racists. But for all practical purposes, in the United States, racism doesn't exist. The only thing keeping racism alive are those that profit financially or politically from ensuring that people are divided by color of skin. If you want to stop racism in the U.S., throw out every politician that believes race should enter the conversation. Ignore and shun every celebrity that screams race over everything else. Fire every teacher at every level that stirs up racial division through their instruction. Every ethnic background has its good and bad points. We're all funny in our own ways, with our own little quirks. And we're all children of God, descended from Adam and Eve, and then through Noah and his sons. We're one race, with different shades, different features. We're the human race. Anyone who believes differently is, in fact, the true racist. I'd like to look at the next article as a microcosm for a larger, looming elephant that's already in the room and maybe about to sit on our collective head. I guess I can preface this with the question, how attached are you to electric light? In an article from QZ.com, Quartz, QZ.com, which appears to be a progressive-leaning, global, environmental type of business resource of some kind, I'm not entirely sure. The article is entitled, New York City's Natural gas ban is a major milestone for city climate policy. They tout New York City's desire or demand to be carbon neutral by 2050. The step toward carbon neutrality, however they actually define that, which personally I believe is a fool's errand, that can only be accomplished through accounting practices that would pretty much land a CPA in the federal pen, the new buildings that will be built will no longer be allowed to use natural gas for cooking or heating in the future. It'll apply to buildings that are less than seven stories tall starting in 2023, and anything taller than that, the uh, mandate will start in 2027. Now, all buildings, including new homes, will require electric heating and electrical water heating and electrical appliances, you know, because electricity is like the cleanest carbon neutralist thing possible, especially the way we do it, right? Yeah. Well, they have a nifty graph that shows that natural gas usage goes through large cycles ramping up and down, up in the winter, back down in the summer. Imagine that, right? Heat. While electricity usage is relatively flat throughout the year. And of course, natural gas equates to dangerous, deadly, violent emissions, unlike emissionless, green, friendly electricity. And sarcasm. Uh, this shove in the right direction will eliminate 2.1 million tons. Wait, I didn't say that right. Let me try it again. We'll eliminate 2.1 million tons of carbon from being spewed into our fragile atmosphere. So says the Rocky Mountain Institute, which is clearly an environmental think tank or company of some sort with nearly 400 diverse, they make a point of that, diverse staff members listed. 400 staff members. They got a picture for almost every one of them. Now comes the spin in the article. The belief by those terrified of a planet burning up because we enjoy heat in the winter, um, who would have been, or maybe if they're old enough, they were terrified of the planet being frozen 50 years ago, is that this can serve as a national model for natural gas bans. So bada bing, bada boom, planet saved. No, I'm just kidding. They don't believe this will save the planet. We, we have to do a whole lot more than that. And if you and I could just 
help out a little bit and and go die, that would help them accomplish their goal. I'll get to that in a minute. Apparently, there was fierce opposition. You always want to look at the language, right? When they when they start getting dramatic, right? They they got to throw in the the right words here to to invoke the emotion looking for. Apparently, there was fierce opposition from those in the field of natural gas production. I guess they expected them to just roll over and agree. Oh, you want to you want to kind of destroy our way of life? Yeah, makes sense to me. They went on to say that the regional natu- natural gas provider warned that, uh, quote, heating buildings with electricity would be more expensive for residents and could lead to blackouts due to excessive demand in the winter. Well, apparently this utility is trying to thwart this legislation. That was how the article said it. Uh, They say that bans on natural gas are a major focus for those who care about the climate, with more than 50 communities in California having taken steps to limit natural gas use in new buildings. Uh, No other bans, no legislation to enact bans, just those communities taking steps. Then they say that there are also 20 states who have passed laws that prevent natural gas bans. But look, here's what we know. 50, that's a bigger number than 20. So there you go. They wrap up by giving some more insight into the bill. Apparently, this doesn't say no more gas, not specifically. It just makes it impossible to use natural gas. They're regulating the emissions of a building, setting them low enough in order to force the builders to get rid of the natural gas option because it just won't be able to comply with the emission regulations. I seem to remember someone else saying something very similar. So if somebody wants to build a coal-powered plant, they can. It's just that it will bankrupt them because they're going to be charged a huge sum for all that uh, greenhouse gas that's being emitted. Although this doesn't affect the current buildings, the Green New Deal that was passed in New York City in 2019 does force the largest 50,000 buildings to retrofit and reduce emissions by 40% by 2030. And in case you're thinking, no, nobody could agree with something like this. Au contraire. Don O'Baird, a CEO of a startup company that works in retrofitting existing building systems, thinks this is fantastic. It'll clean up emissions and create a bunch of jobs. And may I add, probably make him a ton of money in the process, but, but I'm positive it's the emissions thing. So what's going on here? Well, it's the theory that once again, man is the wisest of wise man. Remember, uh, Homo sapien sapien? that God doesn't exist, and that we are all-powerful. This is what it really comes down to. It's a worship of Mother Earth and a demonization of humans. I read a book a number of years ago called Green Hell. I've recommended this book many times to others. I'm recommending it to you. Green Hell, fantastic book. They analyzed the green movements at that time. What do these movements and organizations really want? That's what they looked at. And when you boil it down, they want you and I and all humans to not be any longer. They really, truly believe, all of these groups, they believe that mankind is nothing more than a virus. Can I say that word even anymore? They believe we're a virus on the planet. They fully believe in evolution, but they believe that we've evolved too far. And we're nothing more than a plague that needs to be eradicated at this point so that the planet can go on living. So if you start there, 
I mean, what does that bring you, right? I mean, start there and then look at this legislation that they want to do. The reality of the situation is that this would destroy New York City and, and probably hundreds of thousands of lives. I mean, there's, what, 8 million people in New York City? I mean, this would destroy people. If this were to play out across the country, whew, have you seen a picture of North Korea at night? Dark, very dark. The electrical grid for New York City, Con Edison specifically, is not really all that healthy. Just last summer, Governor de Blasio was begging residents to stop using so much electricity because it was getting very close to knocking out the grid, which would have ended with a massive blackout of the city. But now they want to put more pressure on the grid. Dan, you may say, the retrofits aren't until 2030 and the building codes won't change until 2023 and 27, and the whole carbon neutral thing isn't due until 2050. Yeah, but do you realize that 2023 is literally next year, with 2027 only being five years away? Do you realize that we're closer to 2030 than we are to 2010? And do you realize that we're closer to 2050 than we are to 1990? So what are they going to do in this short time that they've got to shore up the grid that they have and bring on enough carbon neutral at worst power plants to keep up with the new demand. I'm not an energy expert by any means and I'll be honest I'm not going to go look up the power usage for AC units and heat pumps and do the calculations but looking just at the raw information logically and like I've said that this is a logical thing. I want to look at things just from a logical standpoint. If you look at the average temperature for the hottest two months in New York City, you find they're 84 and 85 degrees American or Fahrenheit. I like calling it American. The coldest two months are 40 and 42 degrees. Now, using this logic I talk about, if we heat to a cool 68 degrees in the winter, and, and if we cool down to, in my opinion, a balmy 72 in the summer, Cooling down 13 degrees should take a lot less power than trying to heat up 28 degrees. And if they were on the edge this past summer trying to cool down, what happens in the future with a more heavily loaded grid, because now we have more components, more devices, more equipment on the grid, and then we have a cold snap and we have to heat quite a few degrees? What happens to this grid now? Now, personally, where I live, I didn't have a choice. My entire house is electric. Uh, it's fine. Um, I'd much prefer to have natural gas hookups. I like cooking with natural gas better. I know that. For me personally, if my power goes out, which you know it has for a few brief periods, a couple days, a few times since I've lived here, well, I have a large portable generator that I can exist, keep my food cold, run some lights, run a toaster oven, it'll run an electric heater. And, and if this were an extended period of time, I could remove nearly all of the load and hook up my water heater and heat the tank back up. Okay. I, I can do that. My sister's family has an extended power outage at one point. They, they had an extended power outage at one point and their gas water heater kept the water nice and hot. They were able to cook without any issues. They could use the oven to kind of heat up some parts of the house if they wanted. And I think they did a little. Um, and for the couple days they didn't have power, they were able to stay warm enough until the power came back on and the heat pump started pumping heat again. Now, around where I live, 
When the power goes out for more than a day, my neighborhood is a ghost town. Uh, they're off to find a hotel, and I've, I've been guilty of this too, but they're off to find a hotel or visit grandma or maybe a nice trip anywhere else, but where you don't have power. But when you have a city of 8 million people and an ever-increasing number of people are out of luck, you know, because it's hard to lug a generator to the 20th floor, what do you do then? Is the governor going to come warm you up? Is the city going to take care of you? No, you're kind of on your own until they slowly get the system back online. And and trust me, they're going to have to do it slowly or they'll just keep losing the grid. Not to belabor the point, but when you look at the electricity production for the country as of 2021, 44% of our power generation comes from, drumroll please, natural gas, with another 19.5% coming from coal. Nearly two-thirds of the power production for the country comes from fossil fuels, with the other third being split all over the place. Really, the biggest crime that we have is that we don't have nearly 100% nuclear energy. It's unbelievably safe, and it's emission-free, but it's scary, blah, scary, right? Right now, we have about 8.5% of our national electricity coming from nuclear, and that number is going down. But see, that isn't important to the environmental organizations. As I said, they believe that we, we are the plague that's destroying the planet. This is what happens when you divorce yourself from a belief in God. Now, personally, I believe in an omniscient and a sovereign God. This means that he created and he dictates the world. He's not surprised by fossil fuels. He's the one that gave them to us. He's not surprised by the invention of cars, power plants, or factories. He created the universe with two massive heat-regulating forces, the sun and the oceans. These work in tandem to heat the earth and then to absorb the heat as needed and release the heat as needed. And ultimately, although the greenies are worried that we're quickly approaching a heat death of the planet, although they're correct, it'll be when God chooses. And it'll be much hotter than the 1.5 degree C rise in temperature. Their concern won't be for the multi-million dollar condo on the beach being swamped by the rising tide. It'll be by the seas boiling off and vaporizing in a blink. As I've said before, I'm not advocating for the complete disregard of the planet. I don't believe we should pollute, dump, and destroy the creation that God clearly told us to take care of. But implied by the actions and rhetoric of our leaders and environmentalists, we are simply, at this point, worshiping the earth and elevating ourselves above God or eliminating God altogether. This entire article was nothing but spin, charge language, and agenda. Need to make sure we look past the mind games they play, ask questions, do the research, and above all, keep our reliance in the God of the Bible. Okay, next story. Headline. Wait a minute. Okay, okay. Let me be very clear. There's no need to panic, no cause for concern. Everything's fine. Except for some fear porn! Well, what do you think of the new fear porn alarm? I mean, I like it. An article from WSAZ.com, one of the local news stations around me, and this article can be found pretty much everywhere. The headline is, Expect More Worrisome Variants After Omicron, Scientists Say. Oh, man, the media is in full panic mode over Omicron. If you look into Omicron, or as Fauci says, Omnicorn, as of right now, 
All indications are that it's much more transmissible, much less virulent. This is exactly what we need it to be. This is how herd immunity is created and created quickly. All indications show that it's giving Delta a real pounding as well, which is also what we want. But this is not apparently what mainstream media, the so-called experts, and the politicians want. Why? Well, I'll have to speculate on this, and I will in a minute. We want to look at what they gain by an ongoing pandemic. So we'll get there. Let's start with the article first. Apparently, the, quote, scientists are warning that we'll likely have other versions of the coronavirus beyond Omicron, to which I would say, yes, and? Now, I'm not going to run through this article, not entirely, as they discuss how viruses evolve and they uh, they give a lot of information. I want to go to the point of the article, and the point that they want to drive home is that there is no guarantee that Omicron will be the last or that the next variants will be the same or even less virulent. Okay. Here's some of the things they say in this article. And and this this actually came from the AP. So like I said, you can find this anywhere. These quotes, these statements, they are there for one purpose only, to keep you scared. So, quote, Experts don't know what the next variants will look like, but they say there's no guarantee the sequels of Omicron will cause milder illness or existing vaccines will work against them. Quote, the faster Omicron spreads, the more opportunities there are for mutation. Quote, the ease with which the variant spreads increases the odds the virus will infect and linger inside people with weakened immune systems, giving it more time to develop potent mutations. And now we finally have an expert that's given by name, Dr. Stuart Campbell Ray, who is apparently an infectious disease expert at Johns Hopkins. He says it's the longer persistent infections that seem to be the most likely breeding grounds for new variants. Another quote, it's a possibility, experts say, given that viruses don't spread well if they kill their hosts very quickly, but viruses don't always get less deadly over time. Quote, a variant could also achieve its main goal, replicating, if infected people developed mild symptoms initially, spread the virus by interacting with others, then got very sick later, Ray explained by way of example. Quote, people have wondered whether the virus will evolve to mildness, but there's no particular reason for it to do so. I don't think we can be confident that the virus will become less lethal over time. Quote, there are many possible avenues for evolution. Animals could potentially incubate and unleash new variants. Pet dogs and cats, deer and farm-raised mink are only a few of the animals vulnerable to the virus, which can potentially mutate within them and leap back to people. Quote, another potential route. With both Omicron and Delta circulating, people may get double infections that could spawn what Ray calls Franken-variants, hybrids with characteristics of both types. So the point of the article, once they run through all of this, is get faxed, mask up, distance, stay scared. But look at the number of times language is used, is presented as definitive. But it's anything but definitive. The, the, some of the key words that they've used here, there's no guarantee. 
increases the odds. Most likely, it's a possibility. I don't think. And then if and could are used multiple times. Over and over, the experts are saying things that are not facts, but they're presenting them as facts. So the claim is that although the common belief, you know, based on historical evidence, is that viruses follow what's called Muller's ratchet and become less virulent, but more transmissible over time, that may not happen this time. So, you know, vax and mask and derp, 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 derp. In short, Muller's ratchet makes the claim that all a virus wants to do is live and infect a host. If the virus is extremely deadly, the host doesn't live long enough to infect other hosts, so the viral variant dies relatively quickly. For a virus to survive, it must be less lethal so that the host can live or live longer and infect other hosts. This is what's always been seen, or so we think. But they're claiming that this is not always the case, so I looked it up because that's what we should do. All the links are in the show notes. But in short, I've got a USA Today fact-checking article, an AP fact-checking article, and an ABC News fact-checking article, all claiming proof that viruses can become more deadly. Uh, USA Today says that the fact-check proves viruses can mutate to become more deadly. So, obviously, they must have proof. Scrolling down into the article, as they have a lot of other stuff at the beginning, we come to a header entitled, Many Viruses Have Evolved to Become Deadlier. Hmm, this sounds interesting. So they had an expert, Timothy Sheehan, a, let me get a breath here, a virologist and assistant professor for the Gillings School of Global Public Health of the University of North Carolina. I mean, just kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Now, he had several examples of viruses becoming worse. Let's take a look, shall we? The Ebola virus that was discovered in 2016 was mutated in a way that made it more transmissible, and get ready for it, but likely more infective. He says that this variant died when the epidemic ended in 2016. Wait, the epidemic ended, then the variant died? Isn't, isn't that backwards? Now, apparently, as Muller's ratchet predicts, the variant was too deadly, killing the host too quickly, and the variant died. Okay, eh, let's try the next one, shall we? The West Nile virus, found in 1999, was found to have mutated into a highly virulent strain, killing crows on multiple continents. Okay... And that's where he stopped with the example. I guess the variant's gone now? I, I'm not really sure. Um, I mean, it, sound, it kind of sounds like Muller's ratchet to me. I don't know. Uh, let's try again here. Uh, an infectious disease expert, this is another USA Today quoted expert, Dr. Joel Chua of the University of Maryland's Institute of Human Virology said, just look at the Spanish flu of 1918. I, that killed a lot of people. And then he referenced a study done in May of 2021, so over 100 years after that flu, that, quote, found evidence that the virus responsible did mutate into more lethal variants. 
And then he says that those more lethal variants were responsible for three later outbreaks. Now, they linked the study. I followed the link. The study was done on six lungs that they found preserved that dated to the pandemic era in Germany and Austria. They determined that three of the lungs had the 1918 flu virus. These three lungs suggest that the virus mutated more deadly. What it actually appears to be is that whatever the first wave of the flu was, the the initial strain, the initial wave was not quite adapted to humans yet. The wave after was more deadly. Of course, then we see Muller's ratchet kick in as natural immunity increased through herd immunity. And one of the main points of this study is that humans overcame the flu and people today have genetic natural immunity. This still doesn't give any reason to think that following variants will be worse. In fact, the Alpha, Delta, and Omicron path seems to be replicating the flu of 100 years ago. And need I remind you, we didn't have a vaccine for the flu. And humanity did not cease to be. The USA Today study, the fact check, it proves nothing. Okay, what about the AP? Surely they've got something. Now, they also rated the claim that viruses become less lethal as false. So let's look at their proof. (sighs) This one is just terrible. Hold on to your butts. All right. They say that some viruses become more deadly as they develop drug-resistant variants. They say that some mutated, causing them to jump from animals to humans. They say that flu viruses have developed resistance to antivirals, same as HIV and certain hepatitis C strains. And then they look at a couple animal studies and say, myzoma... M-Y-X-O-M-A, myzoma, virus in rabbits. I'm not looking this one up. They say that got worse. And then they present Merrick's disease in chickens as proof, which I do happen to know about. This is actually a very close parallel to the asinine vaccination program that's been put in place for COVID. Vaccinating in the midst of a pandemic and vaccinating for a single variant allowing the chickens to stay well longer while they're infected before dying, allowing them to pass the virus to other chickens. This almost turned into an absolute disaster. Look it up. So everything the AP cited either was drug or vaccine enhanced, or the one was a jump from an animal to a human, which doesn't make it deadlier. It makes it new to humans. So they didn't prove that viruses can mutate deadlier. They proved that humans interfering with viruses without having a clue what they're doing can cause a virus to mutate more deadly. That's not a virus thing. That's a human thing. We've got two strikes here. Surely ABC News can bail us out, right? Let's see how they did. They say that these experts say that the theory has been soundly debunked. This is the first article that actually makes a point of eliminating God from the equation. I thought this was just interesting to to see. Virologists have learned that, quote, virus evolution is a game of chance and less about grand design. Okay, well, we see where you stand. That's fine. They say that thousands of identified COVID variants, each with unique mutations, have emerged and died out quickly because they can't compete with the dominant variant. 
And that's literally all. They don't actually give any proof as to why this theory is debunked. They make the claim that Omicron has been better, but that's because of some natural immunity and a whole lot of vaccination. And then they give some outdated information about Delta. Uh, Strike three. Here's what I find interesting. Where did Omicron first appear? It was in South Africa and the surrounding region that was vaccinated at a rate of about 20%, where developed nations are 50%, 60%, or maybe higher in their vaccination rate. If Mueller's ratchet were to hold true, the test would have to be in a non-drugged population looking for the natural progression of a virus. As there's basically no one in the world that's untouched from these so-called vaccines, a 20% vaccination rate is probably about as close to unvaccinated as we're going to get. And that's where a variant that's less lethal by a lot, more transmissible by apparently a good deal, and dominant came from. I kind of find that interesting, don't you? So with no real proof to justify a fact check false, why does it appear that all the mainstream sources, the out front experts and the politicians, especially those on the left, want to keep the fear ramped up? Why wouldn't they come out and explain, like I just did, that maybe viruses can become more deadly, but all proof in history shows us when man screws things up? Why do they want to keep pushing the vax, even though those that are being infected are 50% or greater, I've seen up to 80% vaccinated? And the vax they keep pushing was designed for the original variant only, meaning it can do little to nothing against a highly mutated Omicron, which is what we see. Why do they keep pushing masks, mandates? passports, lockdowns, quarantines, concentration camps. It appears that the only options we can point to, seeing as though public health and safety is pretty much off the table right now, is power, control, and money. Now, I'm not going to go into detail here as this discussion is getting long enough, but let me give you some things to look up. Look up COVID and climate lockdowns. Look up Build Back Better initiatives around the world, not just in the United States. Look up The Great Reset. None of these are conspiracy theories. They're all plans for the future of this planet by very powerful people. You can literally find this information easily on the net. It's all out there. It's all accepted as fact. Nobody's claiming a conspiracy on this. Now look, whether you agree with the vax or the masks and the like... Whether you look up this additional information yourself or not, with what I've presented you, you have to ask yourself, why would they keep pushing the fear? Make sure you ask questions. Now, let me wrap it up with this. As a Christian, we should know that the most oft-repeated command in the Bible is to fear not. Do not be afraid. We do not have to be afraid of the flu, of COVID, of our government, or even the vaccines. That said, I am a firm believer that we should do our due diligence and care for this body that we've been given, but when push comes to shove, a virus or a vaccine doesn't determine if or when I die, God has already determined the when and the how, and there is nothing anyone can do to change it. Being a Christian doesn't mean we will enjoy health or receive miraculous healings, but it does mean that even in death, we don't have to fear. If we're truly saved, we know that when we die... We will be absent from the body, boom, present with the Lord. Our ability to fear not does not come from promised earthly safety. It doesn't come from the government. It doesn't come from a drug. It comes from the knowledge 
that we have an all-powerful God and an unquestionable Savior. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com or increasingly I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.